All right, folks. Thanks for thanks for joining. Uh, this is Colin Shots. I'm Seth Part. Now I'm joined today by um, my colleague at the Athletic and many other writing institutions prior to that. It sort of feels like uh, Fred Katz. Uh, Fred, how you doing? I'm lovely. I'm I'm honored to be on with you. Oh, that's very sweet. Um, so Seth Part, now a huge friend of Nick's Twitter, beloved on Nick's Twitter. <laughs> uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um. Let's start with this, though. Why are the Knicks? Because we all are. We all I, are, Seth. I see. I see. What do you think of their draft night? Let's let's start there, right? <sighs> I mean, that's that's kind of it's kind of the natural natural intro to things. I don't know um, stuff. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure how to unpack it. I mean, it seemed like it seemed like the net of it was a, paying a lot to move not that much money of Kemba Walker's contract. Yeah, I I didn't think it I thought it was like I mean, I think the Knicks fan base as a whole kind of kind of bugged about it. Um and I think the majority opinion is that people thought it was it was bad and we know Stephen A Smith thought it was bad. I thought it was just kind of fine. I didn't think it was particularly egregious in in any direction in that it was phenomenal finagling or just kind of some some travesty of of using that to get off a kemba um i mean ultimately the the return i think part of the reason why the reaction was so negative was because of the way like the sequence that the information trickled out there was a point where it seemed like wait do they what are they getting back from OKC? Wait, now Kemba's gone. Did they just trade number 11 just to get off of Kemba? And if that were the case, then obviously that would have been a terrible misuse of assets. It ended up being the net was basically, it was Kemba, the number 11 pick, and four second-round picks go out, and they get back three first-round picks. Milwaukee's 2025 top four protected. Uh, Detroit's 2023 top 18 protected. And Washington's 2023 lottery protected and the Washington protections go out to 2026 and the Detroit ones go out to 2027. I think there is a chance that either that Detroit pick or that Washington pick ends up conveying to them at around 11. Anyway, I also think there's a very realistic possibility that they don't make all three of those picks. They use at least one of those picks to get off more salary, uh, whether that's this year or next year. Uh, I, I, I don't necessarily have a huge problem with it. I, I think the biggest criticism that I would have with it is not necessarily zeroing in on like they made bad moves that night. I think I think the greatest criticism that I can have of it is if you look at transactions not in a vacuum, but as a string of a series of decisions. Like it is just as was their trade deadline when they were trying to dump all those guys they signed last summer. It was just a further admission. Like, oh, man, we just messed up last summer. I, I don't think any contract that they gave out last summer has a legitimate net positive value. And I think Alec Burks is kind of the only one where, like, it's a fair contract. He's paid what he's worth. And, and I think everybody views every other contract they gave out last year as as a net negative. And that, that to me, is the biggest thing. And, and that comes through and them desperately trying to get off Kemba so they can clear cap space. So there's there's three things here. One, I think that if we look at this at two separate trades, there's one that's fine to good. I think if you just want to say the 11 for three future firsts, if you're not 
wild about who was there at the 11, and it seemed like it seems like there's good reason. Uh, the the player that OKC ended up getting there um, uh, is a guy that there's sort of mixed opinions on. I would say um, a lot of guys are not wild, and I'm going to butcher the name, so apologies. But Usman Jeng, I, th- I think that's there you close, go. At least, yeah, I think that's close. There you go. Um, um, you know, uh, and also like that was. Uh, something that sort of came out is as tight-lipped as OKC is. It seemed like everybody knew that's what they wanted. So, I mean, the Knicks did a good job of, of you know, turning that into many of the the Thunder's future draft picks. So that part is fine. And then if, but then it's like, you know, there was a first round shuffling around, but basically four seconds to trade. Again, not that much money of Kemba Walker's contract is that's a. That's a in in even in in today's cap caponomics that that feels like a fairly substantial overpay. Um, you know, you get second rounder gets you off three to four million, and they so that's you know maybe depending on how good the second rounder is, it's more, it's less, but it still seems like bad RO on on that side of the deal. Like, and then and then you know, you know feeding in what side? is the cap space for? Oh, so go ahead. Yeah. Well, you know what I'll yeah. say to that? Um, I don't think all second round pick salary dumps are created equal. That's and the reason that I say that is because when you have as many second round picks as the Knicks did going into draft night, and they had all of their own second round picks, as well as eight other second round picks from other teams, you're not using all of those second round picks. The only way to be able to turn those all of those second round picks into value, like the only way to maximize those second round picks, is to start to use them as currency. Because you're not putting together a team that has 13 second round picks on it, right? You're not keeping those guys. Yeah. So I think when you're in a position where you have that many second round picks, honestly, it's kind of – I use this somewhere else too. It's kind of analogous to the OKC trade. Like if I told you in a vacuum that a team traded – three first round picks for the number 11 pick and what kind of everybody agrees is a weak draft, you know, in a range of a weak draft that kind of everybody agrees is a little bit dicey. You might be like, that's a weird trade, but OKC has so many first round picks to the point that they won't even be able to keep all those players from that picks. So them throwing in an extra first round pick is like, it's a luxury. It's like, it's like when a, you know, it's like when just like a billionaire walks into a grocery store, he's not going to worry about the, the price of fruit going up marginally, you know what I mean? And yeah. so you can you can throw things around. So I will say, like, the Knicks had put themselves, because they had managed their second-round picks well, they had put themselves in a position to where it's like, I don't think they need to grapple over uh, crap. You know what? Let's let's worry about the, the strict analytic value of this trade in a vacuum, because they're still plus four in second-round picks, which is a, a pretty good position to be in. To me, actually, I thought the bigger issue was – was turning around. I actually thought the worst trade was was Kemba Walker and and thirteen uh, for the Milwaukee pick. That that to me, I thought of the three trades. If we're just evaluating them individually, was kind of the worst because that really is using basically the thirteenth pick to drop to what will probably be a late first rounder in all likelihood uh, just to get off of Kemba's money. And and that to me is kind of the worst, but like 11 for three firsts, I think is totally justifiable in this year's draft. And I, I thought Kemba, or I thought, um, you know, that Denver pick, which is 2023 and will probably be late for number 13 and four seconds. 
I, I, I really thought was, was fine. Uh, and, and when they first did the deal, I actually thought they have Detroit's 2023 and 2024 second rounders. Uh, and, and, you know, the 2023 Detroit pick is kind of looked at as like good second rounder. And, and I kind of thought that would have had to be in there and they got to hold on to that one. And I think Detroit will still not be that good for at least another year, even though I really like their core. Um, I, so the thing is, is if they, so I if they okay. no, I, the, the funny thing is, is Detroit, if they decided that's the way they wanted to go, probably could be pretty decent this year, but all, Sort of reporting, uh, especially from you know our our colleague James Edwards, <laughs> is that they're you know they're not going after DeAndre Ayton, they're not going after Miles Bridges. So like where they could have you know done some things and maybe even gone after both, like that's suddenly a very interesting team. But that's not going to happen. Um, the other part I think that to to be like again to be you know completely fair about this is there weren't a lot of there wasn't a lot of cap space. So it's sort of like. Uh, you know, some very basic supply and demand economics. We have lots of these second round picks that are less valuable because of that. And there's less to buy with them. So it costs more. So it's, you know, it, it, second round pick printer go burr and, and we, we pay more. So that's, so that part of it is like, I think the moves themselves are less of a problem. I think if you had done that and not immediately started talking about, and it's all in service of throwing a big bag at Jalen Brunson. <laughs> like that's like when you're talking about viewing them as a string of transactions, like I don't, I don't, you know, you were talking earlier about them admitting a mistake on last off, off season. I'm fine with that. That's actually, that's healthy. Like, okay. You you don't want to make the mistakes, but I think we see far more, far more frequent teams being like, we made this decision and we have to justify it. And we're going to write, you know, we're going to go down with this ship. And so recognizing, yeah, we made a mistake. Let's get out of this is, is I think a good, but Getting out of it to make a, a then a bigger and dare I say fairly nixy mistake if they're going to throw top dollar at a guy who's a strong underdog to ever be an all star is that fair? Yes, that's definitely fair. So, um, not to steal your thunder, but like, what what are you what are you hearing and what do you think that like a their chances of getting Brunson b what that what that amount actually looks like. I mean, I think they're de- they definitely believe that they're in the running for Brunson. Uh, you know, we look when, when, when you hire the guy's dad, it's a little bit of a tell. So they definitely, I mean, this, isn't, think- this isn't college where you make, you know, you, you, you move the whole family to, you know, Lawrence, Kansas. And it's like, Oh, imagine that. Just Don't tell to have that a- to the next. When yeah. they hired Rick Brunson, so many people were just like, that's such a college move. And and look, I think the Knicks would want you to believe, hey, no, this is a this is just a Tibbs hire. You know, he was an assistant. Rick Brunson was an assistant for Tibbs when Tibbs was in Chicago. He was an assistant for Tibbs in Minnesota, and he's gonna be an assistant for Tibbs in New York. And and I I believe that. I don't think that's untrue. But there's some other stuff there too. The Knicks don't even need to back channel anymore. They can just front channel, considering Jalen Brunson is also. Oop. That said, yeah, I think we lost you there for a sec, friend. Oh. Well, you, uh, I think you, I think the point that that uh, that Brunson is uh, is um, repped by Leonardo's son. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They've. They've got they've got the family lines to Brunson. Uh, that said, I, I 
I don't know if they're sitting there with an assurance that they have him. I, I don't believe that to be the case. They might end up getting him, but I'm still considering him going back to Dallas a total possibility. You know, Mark Cuban has said on the record to Mark Stein, like, the Mavs are going to pay him. And we'll see what happens. I mean, he's not going to the Knicks for a discount, I don't think, especially considering that there's a state tax and there are no state uh, income tax in Dallas. So, I mean, I I think they're really going to have to pay up. I think think they're going to have to get to that $25 million number. Right now, if they wave Taj Gibson, they renounce Ryan Archie Diakonos' hap hold, they can get down to about $16 million. That means someone else is going to be on the move. My guess would be either Nerlens Noel or Alec Burks. I think it would be easier to move Burks. It would take less to get off of him. Uh, I think with Noel, it, 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 it's possible it would take attaching a first rounder to get off of Noel. And 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 I think another argument, if you really don't like the Kemba deal, I think another argument that could be made is that the Knicks set the president. They're willing to trade the eleventh pick to get off of Kemba. And New Orleans makes basically the exact same amount of money as Kemba, $9.2 million, uh, for both of them. And if I'm another team, I'm like, you just traded 11 to get off of Kemba. You're going to have to, you know, you, you basically slid down from 11 to, to those other picks. And, and, and you got those picks so that you could attach them to somebody else. You're going to have to give me one of those picks in order for me to take on New Orleans Noel, who obviously they regret giving two years to. So I, I, it might be a little tough for them to get off, but there, there are room teams that can take them on. There, there, there are like five, six, seven, eight trade exceptions in the league, large enough to absorb him. So I think it's doable, and I think, I think Burks is, is probably more doable in that sense because he's a wing who, who plays hard defensively, and he's really become a forty percent three point shooter, and he can give you twenty good minutes off the bench on a winning team, and. And I think he's fairly paid at $10 million. And if you get rid of him, that gets you an extra million in room. And now you're up to about 26. And that that sounds about right. Uh, I mean, you know, no, it doesn't. You, but it sounds well, like you know, it sounds you know like it's what, what it's going to take. Yeah, yeah. Right. You know what I mean. That given given the reality the Knicks are operating in, that sounds about right. If they if they get to 22, if they, they get off of Cam Reddish and they drop his $6 million, they get to 22, they're not getting Jalen Brunson. And they want Jalen Brunson. So you're going to have to get to that number. So um, I saw somewhere, I think it was Tommy Beer, someone wrote yesterday that, you know, why are you going after Jalen Brunson when Tyus Jones is right there? So I guess, like, my question is, which, what is the, which is the better outcome for them? You know, doing what they need to do to trade Burks and then signing Brunson to, you know, four years, a hundred and five hundred ten million, or not doing that and doing something else. I mean, uh, it's a very leading question. It's, I think it's obvious which one I think would be better, but I'm, I'm I mean, I would, I would answer, I would answer Tommy Beer's question by saying, uh, because Tyus Jones is less of a player that you overpay for. I'll, I'll quote, and I really like Tyus Jones, who are the best backup point guards in the league. Oh, no, and, so, but, you're, but you're paying Tyus Jones 10 or 12 million instead of, that, maybe, that, yeah. Maybe you're not. Yeah. I mean, I think I think Memphis has a lot of interest in bringing him back. I could see him resigning thirteen million a year. That that wouldn't shock me. Uh, I I would say the reason is because Tyus Jones has a ton of contextual value, 
And I'm not arguing Jalen Brunson doesn't. And I'm just answering the question, really. Yeah. But if I'm the Knicks, the question isn't. If, if, if somebody says to me, why would you rather have Jalen Brunson for 25 a year when you can have Tyus Jones for 12? Which, by the way, that, that first of all, the problem with that question is it supposes that you can have Tyus Jones for 12, and we don't know. Yeah. You can't have Tyus Jones for 12. But I would honestly answer that question with another question. Why would you rather? Why would you have Tyus Jones for twelve when you can have Emmanuel quickly for three? Uh, <laughs> if, if if we're going to go to that, yeah. if, if that's the route we're going to play, like we can just keep downgrading. And there is absolutely a world where Emmanuel quickly is a better player than Tyus Jones next year. Like money aside, no, uh, as much as as much as I like Tyus Jones, I mean Tyus Jones's value is that he doesn't make mistakes, which is a great value to have it's one of the main reasons why that team was i believe 20 and 5 when john morant didn't play last year and why they held up never turns the ball over uh and and he's a he plays hard defensively and all of those things but tyus jones's idealized role is a really good backup point guard who spot starts when you need it if tyus jones is your starting point guard he's not a top half of the league point guard and ultimately, and this is not my argument, by the way, for why it's really smart and savvy to pay Jalen Brunson $27 million a year. I'm just saying that ultimately, the goal of this thing is not to have a bunch of good contracts. The goal of this thing is to actually be a good basketball team. And, and so if you're going to ask questions like that, you might as well take it all the way and just play manual quickly, you know? I mean, I think that, I, I mean, I think that, 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 was, uh, that was the hue and cry for a lot of last year anyway. Yes. Oh, yeah. No question. Quickly and Toppin. My mentions filled up with Emmanuel Quickly and Obi Toppin just about every night. Yeah. So, I don't know. I guess this is all. This all leads back to, to sort of. Uh, I guess a, a preparatory question, which I didn't ask, is is where do the Knicks see themselves as you know going into next year? I don't think like like you don't sign like okay. Maybe this is like you don't sign Jalen Brunson to a huge contract to be the seventh seed, right? You're 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 doing that because you're aiming higher. And and my question is: is that is that really their internal evaluation that they're that away from being like a non-playing team? Seth, I have no idea the answer to that question. Yeah. I have I I I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm, it's a great question. I have absolutely no idea what the answer to that question is. I just don't have the slightest clue. I, I don't know what their plan is. They said their plan was to maintain flexibility for 2023. Uh, but now that seems to have changed because they're dumping all of this money for 2022 seemingly out of nowhere. Like the plan with these contracts was to be able to try to make a trade. It seemed like they thought Donovan Mitchell was going to become available and then they swerved away from that. And uh, I don't know if this is a panic move or if this is just, uh, hey, we're, we're friends with his dad, so let's go give him his money. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. And, you know, obviously they do need a point guard or if they watched last year and how it operated with Kemba Walker and Alec Burks playing most of the minutes at point guard, neither of which was anywhere near. Uh, you know, Burks is a good player, but he's not a point guard. Uh, you know, anywhere near what you want out of that position. Uh, and they just kind of panicked. And they were like, we just cannot do this for another year. But like, 
what did you expect when you went into the year with Kemba Walker being a risk? And I was fine with that contract at the time, to be honest. But, you know, it was a risk. And you say you wanted to maintain flexibility for 2023. But, like, okay, you got you got Julius Randle on the books for $25 million in 2023, right? You got Evan Fournier on the books for almost $19 million. You've got R.J. Barrett as a restricted free agent. Let's put him in for his cap hold number. That's $27 million. We'll, we'll get you've there got, in a sec. Oh, yeah. You've got, you've got <laughs> Obi Toppin at 6.8. You've got Emmanuel Quickly at 4.1. You've got Quentin Grimes at 2.4. And you've got Miles McBride at 1.8. Now we're going to add Jalen Brunson to the mix. Let's say they're giving him 25 and let's say you re-sign Mitchell Robinson for $12 million a year. That's almost $124 million of salary in a in a year where the projected salary cap is 128. That means that just your payroll, take away cap hold, you know, plus uh, you know, RJ's cap hold or, or an extension number or whatever. If you give RJ the max, you're actually over the cap like in an extension. Like you are going to have to do the same thing next year and just dump guys again if you want to get to – and that's to get the max cap space. This is just to get to 25. So, like, I don't know what their plan is, Seth. They said their plan was to maintain flexibility <laughs> moving forward. They have maintained flexibility with their draft picks. They have a surplus of first-round picks and a surplus of second-round picks, but they don't really use their draft picks. They just trade them and kick them, <laughs> kick them down the road. So – Maybe their plan is still to try to use those pieces and trade for a star in 2023, but somebody has to become available and you have to be able to present the best package, which they can offer a ton of picks. Um, but other than their own, I don't know if any of the picks that they have are extremely desirable in a star trade because they just don't have, they don't have a ton of upside. Uh, they're, they're protected enough to where they're like, they're good picks to have. They're really nice to have, but it's like the the 18th pick in the draft is is not going to get you Donovan Mitchell when somebody else is offering two unprotected firsts and two swaps. You know that's just not how it's going to work, even if you offer a, a greater quantity. So I, I have no idea. I don't know what their plan is, and they haven't said it. They they don't you know they they, they don't they don't say anything publicly. So uh, I don't know, but I guess we're gonna we're gonna find out eventually. <laughs> okay, where do you, so. Since since we we don't really have much visibility into what they think that makes them, what what do you think that makes them? Like again, assuming you know, basically you know, in Brunson out Burks resign resign Mitchell. Uh, I think it makes them a plan hopeful, right? Does that sound yeah. about right? Like they could they could get yeah. into the top ten. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I think that I think that's right. I mean. I don't know. I think if you if you squint, you're like, okay, we get first of all, it's a you know one of the great all lefty squads, or one of the one of the most notable all lefty squads, if you think about it, with you know uh, uh, Brunson, Brunson, Barrett, and 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 Randall. But you, you okay? Well, you get, yeah, so yeah, um, you get uh, you get what you, what Brunson gave Dallas last year. Randall has a bounce back year. I don't think I don't think two years ago. I think I. <laughs> I think you'd have to be the most kind of blinkered fan to kind of expect or like that. And you'd progress from Barrett. And then you think, yeah, that gets us to the five seed. That seems like, you know, everything goes perfect. Best case scenario. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think their their best case scenario or their best case to improve is not necessarily from their free agency. It's from their internal development. It's if quickly comes out and, you know, you know it quickly is prone to these really long shooting slumps. It happened twice last year or for weeks. He just he had like a month plus long period during the season when he was shooting like 27 percent from the field. Uh, you know, quickly just eliminates those, continues to get better as kind of, you know, on his pick and roll reads and, and a little better as a passer and his pacing improves. Uh, you know, he makes a nice leap. Obi Toppin plays more than 16 minutes and carries over that momentum from, from the end of last season when, when he obviously played really, really well to close the year and they're able to give him 25 minutes because they just find flexibility in their rotations to be able to do it. Uh, RJ Barrett, you know, makes a leap. His percentages around the rim go up. He, he's shooting 75 plus from the line. Uh, you know, and he just, he, maybe he becomes a little bit of a better passer as well. I know that's a big focus for him, just making the right reads once he gets to the rim. Not just finishing better, but knowing, okay, three guys collapsed on me. Fournier is wide open in the corner. I got to find him. Uh, and Barrett has a really hard work ethic, and I think he will continue to improve. Uh, so, I mean, I think that's kind of, their best, uh, you know, you know, Grimes also being able to, to make an impact. Uh, I, I think that's kind of their, their best path to exceeding those sorts of expectations. If the young guys come out who are talented, and I think are, you know, I think a lot of them are, are going to end up being rotation players for a while. Like all those guys I just named, I think will be rotation players for a long time. If those guys come out and they, they really make leaps, they really develop, then, then, then maybe the Knicks end up winning, winning more than than we're saying right now. But the East is tough. Like the East is just really tough. Like Miami's not going to be bad. Boston's not going to be bad. Milwaukee's not going to be bad. The Sixers will figure something out. Toronto is always good. Uh, you know, Brooklyn. Brooklyn? Not, yeah. Yeah. Who knows what happens with Brooklyn? But I can't imagine if you know Kyrie stays there, KD stays there. I can't imagine they're worse. In 44 wins, uh, you know, Atlanta is possible, you know, they're better. Cleveland is still young and it's possible they're better. They had a lot of injuries and fell off at the end of the year. It really played like a 51 team a lot of the year. The Hornets have a coaching change and a really young roster. Like the Wizards might try to make a big move, uh, you know, in, in conjunction with resiling Bradley Beal, which, which uh, you know, we'll see what that means for their future, but it might enhance their presence, and they were basically right in line with the Knicks last year. So it's not like, okay, you bring in Jalen Brunson, and all of a sudden you're better, and thus, you know, you were 11 last year, and now because you're better, you're now ninth or eighth or seventh or sixth. Like, the East is is tough. Like, I, I look at the East, and they're like, three teams from like, okay, we know they're not going to be good. And the rest, I'm like, we'll see. Any of those teams can get in the plan. You sound, you sound frustrated with, <laughs> with, 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 with like, and I know you're like, you're, you're objective, but it's, it's sort of like, you know, you, I think you're like me and you, that you like things that are good and well done. And you seen, you sound frustrated with, with, with where they are and what they're doing. No, I'm not. I'm not frustrated with it. I just am. I'm not frustrated with their 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 process at all. I mean, I I'm not invested in their process. I just am like, I'm just trying to decipher exactly what they're trying to do. Like, I I just don't really 
I don't really know what they're trying to do. And when I say that, like, I'm not even passing judgment and saying that it's some terrible thing. I'm just, I'm just kind of trying to figure it out. And I still kind of think that the ultimate goal is just kind of tread water and do the thing that the Nets and the Clippers did where you, you tread water, you're somewhat competitive. And when you're somewhat competitive and a star wants out, you're in New York City and they're going to say, yeah, the Knicks are somewhat competitive and they're competent now. And so I'd like to go there and then you can trade a bunch of stuff and a bunch of picks and all of that for that player. But it's just, I think it's a lot easier said than done to be able to do that. Cause you know, first of all, you need, you need stuff to be able to trade for that guy. And they, they clearly had that in mind when they gave out those contracts last year, which I think they justified internally by thinking, you know what, these are tradable deals in the summer of 2022, if we need to do it. And now they're like trying to give them away and they're like having to attach picks. Like they can't even give them away for free. They have to incentivize people to take them on. So I just, I don't, I, I think that's probably still the objective, but it's just like, you can't do that forever. You know, at some point you have to actually choose a direction and you don't have to swerve from it after one year. Patience is a really good thing, but like, it seems like they're now swerving to Brunson. It's like, that wouldn't make sense with this plan. So I'm just like frustrated with myself trying to figure out what exactly is happening here you know what i mean is that reasonable yeah no so the, so i guess my the natural question after that and by the way i've seen uh a couple of people like raise their hands for questions i know schwinnie has probably has darts he wants to throw at me but anyone who's got questions for me or fred please uh hop on in the queue um this is maybe a bit of like a criminal kremlinology question is like the way you're describing this is the way that one might expect a team that had lots of voices in the room and different power centers that are ascendant at one time or another. And I know given how opaque this Knicks regime is, like that's probably tough to decipher. But I don't know. Do you I mean is do you have any informed speculation on that or you know? And we'll get to Alan that can answer answers. Yeah, I mean I think they're they they definitely have a lot of voices in their front office. There's no question about that. Like, it's it's interesting. I used to cover the Thunder. And I think the Thunder have a collaborative way of getting to decision-making. But ultimately, the decision rests with Sam Presti. Like, he is the one calling the shots. And he's not just the one calling the shots. He's the one <coughs> – excuse me. He's not just the one calling the shots. He's the one who is organizing the entire process. Like, you know Sam Presti. That's how he operates. You know what I mean? Uh, and the Knicks. It's every, everyone talks, then you go. No, it's, it's like the way he operates is everyone talks, and then you all go away, and then I'm going to decide what we're going to do. Exactly. Exactly. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, I remember hearing a story of another team that operates that way. And I, I don't want to say the name because I don't know if I should, but it's a team that operates that sort of way. Yeah, we're well, collaborating. Tor- Toronto does. Talks. That, that's yeah, the way sure. Toronto works. Yeah, sure. And the Spurs and the Spurs, you know, would work that way in, in a lot of scenarios. And so, you know, this this team was at the draft, and uh, there was, and and they were on the clock, and they went around the war room. They had however many guys they had in the war room, and 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 the the front office leader said, like, okay, everybody, right here, we're deciding between these two people. Name the player you want. 
and they all named the same player. And, and then the front office person said, <laughs> no, <laughs> it was not the not Kings. Yeah. And, and they all named the same player, all however many of them, five of them, eight of them, whatever. And then the front office person says, great, that's awesome. We're all on the same page, but we're going with the other guy. And they went with the other guy. And you know what? It ended up being a great pick. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it can go in certain places. And I think with the Knicks, they've set it up where they have a lot of, they have, they just have a lot of minds in their front office. Like, you know, I know like on their trade calls, for example, a lot of those are done by Brock Aller, who, who does a lot of cap stuff for them. Uh, you know, Leon Rose is technically the top guy, but you see William Wesley doing a lot of stuff and Frank Zanin will be involved in other things. And, and Walt Perrin is very heavily involved in the draft process. And Scott Perry is still the GM there. So like there are definitely Tibbs has a big voice. Yeah. Yeah. Tibbs. Well, Tibbs has a deep voice. Yes. Uh, there are definitely, I mean, look, I mean, Rick Brunson was a Tibbs hire, you know, uh, and Tibbs will voice his opinions in the draft. Like, like uh, Tibbs was big on Quentin Grimes. Tibbs was pushing Quentin Grimes hard. He really wanted Quentin Grimes. So like, you know, they'll, they'll, he'll be, he'll be involved in that sort of stuff as well. So even though he's not the president of basketball ops, like he was in Minnesota. So, so I, I, uh, that 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 could be part of it. I don't know, but but there are definitely like more. They also just brought in Gerson Rosas, who's who's consulting for them. Who I forgot about, and I think people definitely listen to. And he was a former president of basketball ops as well with Minnesota. So they have they have like a big front office, which is not a bad or a good thing. It's just it's just different from some other ones. Sure, uh, Alan. Thanks for your patience. Uh, what's your question? If you want to, there you go. How are you doing today? Oh, we cannot hear you, Alan. Do, do, do. All right, if you can get your audio figured out, we will uh, get back to you. But uh, Schwinney, um, I'm 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 ducking. I'm cowering. What do you got? <laughs> I, I'm not that mean. Um, you know. Uh... I want to go back to a couple of things that Fred touched upon. Like, I don't think their plan is that complex. I think it's pretty straightforward, right? They want to be competitive, and they're that's it. Like, they want to be competitive, and they want to be competitive so that when a star does come in the market, they will look at New York, and they won't be like, oh, wow, this team has no fucking clue what it's doing, which is kind of what has been the case for the better part of two decades. Um, like, you look at a team like Miami for a long time. I remember thinking this, remember that year where they signed, like they signed all those dudes, right? Like waiters and all these dudes to long contracts. And we're like, what are they doing? They don't have a plan, but the plan is just be competitive. And we, and like given our track record, we will attract stars because they know that every year that our goal is to try to win a championship. There's no other goal. And if you are a star in the league at some point, that's your goal. You want to win a championship too. And you want to have an organization that you trust to do that. Now, the Knicks obviously are not Miami. They have not established themselves at that level. They don't have that level of credibility from the front office down to the coaching staff down to their ability to develop players. You know, they're, it's just not there, obviously, because they just started two years ago. Um, but, like, if you just zoom out from what the Knicks have done in the past, you know, like, is their process clean? Is it always correct? No, obviously not. Like, there's, you're going to get shit wrong. But if you look at, like, what they inherited 
and what they have now in place, you know, we can talk about the cap all day, but this was a team who like our young core that they inherited was RJ, Mitch, Frank, and Knox. Like that's it, you know, or, Oh, sorry. I forgot Dennis Smith jr. Who is not in the NBA anymore. Um, like th- this is just not a good situation. And we had Randall and we had a bunch of cap space. And now you look at this roster, like, yes, some the vet contracts and all this stuff, like they're not perfect. And who knows if they need to attach assets to Alec Burks, they'll get assets or whatever, the, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But like they have a pretty decent core of young talent. And yes, maybe Knicks fans love these guys way too much, but you would love them way too much too if you were subjected to watching Kemba Walker and Alec Brooks run point for 82 games for no reason. Um, like, these guys need to play more when they have played, guys especially like Quickly and Obi Toppin and, uh, you know, Seth, your guy, Quentin Grimes, they produced. They looked good. They looked like real NBA players that can contribute to rotations uh, today and help you win basketball games today. And that is kind of like a very big departure from previous front offices and Knicks regimes. And, yeah, like is Jalen Brunson – the perfect player. No. Is it going to be an overpay? Maybe. But you know what? The Knicks haven't had a solid point guard since I have Mark Jackson. Like, the best point guard I've watched in my life was Stefan Marbury before he started eating Vaseline. Um, there is a value to, like, having that player at that position that knows how to run an offense, that can get things organized, and more importantly, like, can just score from inside the arc. The Knicks were the worst two-point scoring team in the NBA last year. They had the lowest two-point percentage in the league. Brunson, for whatever his flaws and, like, his strength as a scorer inside the arc is uncanny for a player his size. Um, Now, is that all because he played in a five-out offense? I kind of don't believe that. Um, But, like, there is a value in getting him. And I will say this, like, their offseason can't stop at we added Jalen Brunson and that's it. Like, no. Like, they have these young guys, right? So it can't just be we get Jalen Brunson and that's it. No, you have to make – room now for these young guys alongside of Brunson to get more minutes to pick up kind of like you move out Alec Burks, move out of Nerlens Noel. Now you freed up some minutes. Can you move off of Julius Randle in a way that is productive and not destructive to your cap and your asset situation? I have no idea, but like, these are the things they need to do on top of getting Brunson. So do I think they've nailed everything? No, but I think they're in a position where we could look back in a month and be like, okay, I feel a lot better about this team. They still have all these minutes going to these young dudes. They got a lead ball handler. And hopefully if there is a God, uh, Julius Randle will not be on the team anymore. <laughs> First of all, when you your recitation of their young players, I feel like there's some Ignis Brzezikas uh, erasure going on there. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I, I'll let Fred, I do it. Recall and, uh, you know, uh, the, well, well constructed as always. Um, I, there is a point to be made there that, like, if you look at like, kind of the straight line from two years ago to now, it looks very different than if you look at the straight line from uh, after last season to now. And so, just like the progress, maybe wasn't linear, but yeah, they absolutely are in a better spot now than they were when Leon Rose took over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're they're for sure in a better spot them when Liam Rose took over. But but like let's let's be real about this. The they're, they're a normal NBA team now. They were not previously a normal NBA team. There are always like four teams 
that don't operate like a normal NBA team. Like the Kings trading Tyrese Halliburton for DeMontis Sabonis got panned because the Kings were not acting like a normal NBA team. Uh, the Kings potentially trying to trade number four for, for a player who can help them today when they weren't good last year is not acting like a normal NBA team. The Knicks are acting like a normal NBA team right now. So I think once you set up, which is good, but I think once you set up that reality, you can break it down farther, right? And now you can you can you can evaluate the the individual moves. They have good young players. They have good young players. Um, I I don't. I'm not optimistic. If you're somebody who wants them to trade Randall, I'm I'm. I wouldn't predict that that's going to happen this summer. Um, and they he's going to have to play. He's going to have to have a couple months of playing better. Like, the, like yes, there's no there, he's he's not movable for like maybe maybe he's movable for like the reverse holiday. Like you you give the Drew Holiday Hall to trade him away instead of to bring in someone at this point. But that's the not other the other part. I mean, you know, we're we're talking about like giving him away. Um, you know, may, maybe if you take back a contract of, of, you know, equally diswanted value that Duncan Robin, and, you know, maybe we're talking about, well, you could like, I mean, kind of how the Mavericks did the deadline, right. Where they traded Porzingis for smaller contracts, but also equally at the time, I think viewed negatively contracts and Dinwiddie and uh, Bertans. Like, I don't know. You know, I, I suggested just trade Julius Randall for Davis Bertans. I don't care. Um, but like, I think maybe, the idea is, hey, look, like we know what happens in free agency, right? There's like, for example, we got three teams apparently bidding for Dejounte Murray. Only one of them is going to get him potentially if the Spurs trade him. So you're going to have teams that, at the end of the day, they're left with just nothing. They didn't get anything in free agency. Now, are they going to operate like the 2 a.m. drunk that's just looking to leave the bar with anybody? Maybe, and maybe that's how you move Julius Randle. But like, I think that there is. It doesn't behoove them to do what the Pacers were doing, where they were like leaking out there. Oh yeah, we're gonna get the eleventh pick for Malcolm Brogdon, and now everybody knows like there was no market like that for Malcolm Brogdon, and his market looks even worse now. Um, I don't think even if the Knicks are wanting to trade Julius Randle, it does not help them leak that and and try and put that out there because. Um, you know, look, I, I think it's safe to say also Julius oh, probably I'll isn't the type you, of dude. I'll tell you right now, they've inquired with other teams about Julius Randle. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I that's, definitely That's that. for sure. I can tell you that for sure. They've inquired and, with and I guess like, about Julius Randle. I don't think they've gotten anywhere close to what we could even call a negotiation. Mm. Uh, but in, in the weeks leading up to the draft, like they were calling about all these contracts that we talk about from last summer. They were they were calling and getting a market about all of them. Some of them varied with like Alec Burks. I think they entered negotiate like legit negotiations with other teams. I don't know how close those negotiations came, but there was like there was like, hey, you know, here's what we want. No, here's what we want. There was there was that with Alec Burks. Um, other ones, I think it might have just been more of like a canvassing, trying to get an idea of what the general value around the league was. But they they have made calls about. Since the trade deadline and leading into the draft, they've been calls about Burks, Noel, obviously, Fournier, and I, I, I know that that they have spoken to other teams about Randall, but I think the Randall stuff is way, way, way more, uh, you know, informal. It's not like with with Indiana, where like they're talking about assets and that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and it's, it's and it's also can I break like, in for a second, Schwinny? 
yep, is, yep. is when Fred is talking. When Fred is talking about <laughs> operating like a like a normal NBA team, like doing that sort of background stuff, so you kind of know, that's kind of what he's talking about. Like the teams that get surprised, teams that aren't. Doing yeah, yeah, and and I think it's also things. like when you say normal NBA stuff, like wh- one of the things that's been infuriating with the Knicks, right, is you have all these regimes that have come in and they've spent. A ton of Dolan's money, which is good. I'm happy that the owner of the team is willing to spend lots of money. But they have spent it purely on the roster. They did not build out any infrastructure. And if you look at what Leon has done since he came in, like, if you fired Leon today, there will be things in place, like analytics department, data stuff, all the kind of things that he's added, the NOAA shot tracking system at the practice facility. This is, like, real infrastructure that they've invested in. So to, to me, like, when you talk about operating like a normal, normal NBA team, that's the stuff that, like, again, if he gets fired, to, like, if they don't get Jalen Brunson and James Owen's like, all right, enough of this, like, I'm firing these guys, they won't be leaving a situation where the next guy's going to come in and he has to build the entire operation from the ground up, you know? And I think that is, like, that's a value that it's hard to place as a fan, especially because we don't, we're not around the team every day, right? Like, we just care about the wins and the losses and, you know, fucking rotations and all that kind of stuff. But uh, if you are, you know, I think obviously as an organization, those are very productive things. And I think you've mentioned before that, like, they have uh, among the most data analysts kind of on the bench, right, in game. So this is, like, real stuff that they've invested in. And I think when I, like, kind of look at what they're doing, like, again, I don't know precisely if they have some specific target of, like, it has to be Donovan Mitchell. It has to be Devin Booker or what, or if it's just broadly, like we plan on trading for a start at some point. And honestly, like the fact that they were willing to at least explore trading up for Jaden Ivy, I mean, that speaks to like, I don't know if they view acquiring a star as purely getting an in prime established NBA star, or if they're also willing to, Hey, look, like they've got all this draft ammo. Now we know apparently next year's draft is loaded. Will they be able to move up in that? Is that something that they view as a star trade? Um, you know, those are things that like, generally speaking, prior to this, like they just never were in positions to do that. And they didn't really work a draft board ever, you know, and like, that's kind of another piece of this that is shocking is like, they've traded every single year in the draft, and they've accrued more future draft capital. They've come out net positive, basically in draft capital in each draft. And, um, you know, like having a front office that actually plays their board, and assigns values and understands like, Maybe they're not going to win every trade, but they're not scared to make trades. Um, and I think, like, that is a departure from, like, you know, the best thing I could say about Steve Mills is he didn't destroy the Knicks cap space and good job on the Porzingis trade. Like, which is not nothing, but it needs to be more than that. And I think these dudes are at least trying, like Leon and Wes, it feels like they're actually trying to establish something and working towards a goal. Uh, is it the way I would go about it? Probably not. But like, I don't think uh, my plan doesn't need. To, they need to. They need to execute to their plan. And as long as like they're operating rationally, I'm okay with that. Like, did I love the Kemba salary dump? No, no, I didn't. I think that was like you know four second round picks seems excessive. Um, now, is that the worst trade of all time? No. Like, and do I understand why they are doing that? Sure. But like, this is the part where execution matters, right? They have like, they're clearly going after Jalen Brunson. You cannot be Leon Rose as his literal godfather. 
You cannot hire Rick Brunson as his dad and not get Jalen Brunson. Like, if you ever have intel on a free agent, this is it. If you don't land him, like, I do not think it would be rash for James Dolan to be like, these guys have zero pull. Thank you for your service. We are moving on. I don't think that would be an extreme reaction. I definitely agree with you on that. I mean, look, I covered the Wizards before the Knicks. And it's... it's <laughs> Sorry, I'm, la- I'm, I'm laughing at the chat Charlie Saturday asked, is this show Colin Shots or Colin Schwinney? Which is fair. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, so, the thanks, Schwinney. We'll get Alan back up after Fred finishes answering. <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. Yeah. The 2016 Wizards are the ultimate uh, Intel fail, in my opinion. I wasn't covering him yet, but I was covering the Thunder. And that was Kevin Durant's free agency. And the Wizards opened up all this cap room because they thought they had a chance at Kevin Durant. And the reason why is because Kevin Durant is from Prince George County right outside of D.C. And they thought, you know, coming home was all the rage. LeBron James had done it two years prior in 2014. You know, he's going to he's gonna potentially gonna want to come home too. And, and the Wizards have a chance at him. They opened up all this cap room. Uh, not only does Durant not sign with them, not only does Durant not meet with them, Going into it, the whole league knew that Durant didn't want to sign with them, meet with them. They didn't do their intel, uh, and they they didn't know. And then they fall back, and they sign Andrew Nicholson to a huge deal. They sign Jan Mahim. They sign Jan Mahimi to a four year, sixty four million dollar contract, which was like the center contract. You know, that was the Biombo contract. That was the Mozgov contract. That was like. The Dwight contract was around there. It was a little higher. Like That was like the center contract. And Yam Mahimi is like, for most of his time at the Wizards, not even a backup center. He's literally not even in the rotation at 16 a year. Um, and that was like the ultimate intel fail. I, I agree. They are, they are set up to know what is happening with Jalen Brunson. The, the thing that I will say is there are a lot of these moves, you know, for example, like if if they if they want to be able to set up a salary dump, if they're going to get Jalen Brunson right away, like they don't have to trade Nolan's Noel until they know about Jalen Brunson. But I agree, you made all those moves on draft night, like, and and people leading into draft night had said to me like, if the Knicks dump Kemba or Burks or Noel on draft night, they're single, they, they're signaling they want, they're signaling they have a they have a good feeling about Jalen Brunson, and. Uh, Look, I don't, I don't even know how tampering rules would work with, like, a dad talking to his son. I don't, I don't even know how that would work. And the Knicks have two dads who can talk to two sons in this situation. Uh, but, look, like, they, they should know. They should know right now what their chances are with Jalen Brunson. And they should have known when they made the Kemba trade what their chances are with Jalen Brunson. And I, I don't know about firing or – or not firing someone if you end up with Jalen Brunson or not. But but I agree, that would definitely be um, embarrassing for the organization, if especially if it was like he doesn't even meet with them, he's just back to Dallas on June 30th. Or he signs with Dallas for like 22 or something like that. Then it's just, yeah. like, what are yeah. we doing here? Alan, thank you so much for your patience. Hopefully uh, your, your audio is, uh, we, we can hear you this time. If you want to unmute and, and fire away. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Hey. Yes. Oh, great. Yes, thank you. I want to say I follow both of your work and I'm fans. So thank you for letting me speak. I guess I wanted to just address uh, your questions about the direction of the franchise. 
Because to me, it seems like if they did get Brunson, then they would be in a much better position to make the star trade than they were two weeks ago, if you also include what happened in the draft. Because, you know, you'd have Brunson at $26 million, you have four extra picks, maybe you add two of your own, unprotected even, and now you've got Brunson and six picks to trade for someone like Mitchell or someone else, and that's probably a better trade package than they had before they acquired the three extra firsts and really only had Randall as a large matching salary. You know, Brunson's an easier fit. Randall can't shoot. It's hard to fit him on a lot of teams. And the only sort of thing about that, I guess, is do you get Brunson based on personal relationships and then send him to Utah? (laughs) But probably all parties recognize that Brunson is a trade chip for Dallas too. Because if Dallas re-signs Brunson, they're over the cap. Their second highest paid player duplicates a lot of what Luka does, but not as well. So their best move to improve and really become a contender is trade Brunson for a wing. You know, uh, that will really sort of round them out. So I guess from Brunson's point of view, if he's a trade chip either way, you know, why not go to New York? You get to run the show for a year. Maybe then you run the show in Utah or wherever you go. But uh, personally, I'd rather start quickly. And if he sucks and we get a great pick in 23, that's not bad. But I feel like I see a direction that sort of matches what the direction has always been. And again, if the Brunson thing happens, we are closer to that star trade, I think, with Brunson as the chip instead of Randall. And these extra picks. I think that's a really good point. There, one there, there is the risk factor of you're going so top dollar for for Brunson that it's it's not inconceivable that his contract looks like Randall's in a year. Now, I don't think that's right. the most likely scenario, but I, but I do think that's a great point that either either as a running mate for a star, like hey, he was a great number two for Luca, so I can I can work with him, or as you say, as the sort of the matching salary. I don't like. I don't think a I don't think a Mitchell Brunson backcourt works. So it's probably not Mitchell if if you're thinking of pairing them. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's a really good point. Thanks for that, Fred. Yeah, your it is a good point. It is a good point. But one thing I will say is that you know I think I think the if you really are piecing together stuff to to trade for a star, I think it's harder to trade along. I mean, Brunson's going to take four years. And it's, I think it's, it's in general, not always. There are specific situations where it's obviously not the case. But if you think that that's like a net neutral value contract, or, or even if you think it's a little bit above what he would get, what he should get on the open market, like I think that there are a lot of people who think the Knicks are going to pay more than what Jalen Brunson is actually worth. Uh, you know, a three-year deal or something in general is not always as enticing as a one-year deal for a team trading a star. Because often when a team is trading a star, they're trying to get back stuff that gives them as much flexibility as possible. They want young players. They want picks. They want expirings. Uh, and and having a big number with Jalen Brunson, you know, starting at $25 million and, and, you know, in year year four making 30 or whatever it'll end up being, I, I think could could turn off some teams uh, who, who might just be trading a star and, and trying to go in another direction. So that's something, but it, it is, it is definitely a good point. And it's completely within, uh, you know, their own possibilities that he could end up being a trade chip for, for somebody. And, and may I follow up with, with one thing. Uh, so, I mean, I, I also like follow Nick's film school and Jeremy on there has been talking about, can they make Brunson's contract actually start higher 
and be a descending. And so if like they can actually open the space and really just sign Brunson, then that sort of forces Dallas maybe to start talking, sign and trade. And then, right, if they do start higher uh, by doing a sign and trade, like doesn't that give like Dallas an even bigger traded player exception or something like that? And, you know, Utah's not ready to trade Mitchell this year anyway, so we're talking maybe a year from now. And if Brunson signs like a descending three plus a player option, maybe he's going to opt out at 29 anyway. You know, so it's really only two years. So I don't know. I don't know. Actually, I don't know that much about the cap. I'm wondering about is that whole descending thing possible? But, you know, like I said, just in general, I'd rather start quickly, but I see the direction. And thank you for the opportunity. Love you guys. Thank yeah, so the descending, the descending stuff. Thank you for the question, by the way. That was that was really good. The um, the descending stuff is, it's possible. I wouldn't say it's the most likely because number one, players tend to not want that because just like with any other job, when you become a free agent again, you're negotiating off of your previous salary, and players would rather negotiate off of a higher salary than a lower salary. So players tend to not want to do that. Uh, on top of that, the Knicks would now have to open up even more cap space. So now they got to. You know, if you're if you're getting down to 25, if he for average annual value wants, let's say 27, you're going 25 in year one, whatever in year two, whatever in year three, it gets a little higher. Now you got to go reverse for that. You got to open up more room. Um, as for as for a sign in trade, um, it's complicated with Brunson. If the Knicks are going to do a sign in trade for Brunson, they actually need to take on a pretty good amount of dead salary from Dallas to make the the cap work because Brunson is eligible for something called base year compensation, which is players who get big raises on their previous salaries in free agency. The numbers actually don't work. The number going out for Brunson going to the Knicks would be his actual salary, but the number going to Dallas, they would be trading off of half of his salary. So the math becomes complicated. And the way that you fix that is Dallas has to pile on tons of salary uh, in order for, for the, 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 the matching to work. So the Knicks would have to take on, like, I don't know, some, something, Dwight Powell or Davis Bertans or, or some sort of salary dump, and that would have to be in order to, like, entice Dallas to want to do it too. And, and certainly if that were the only way that Brunson would come or the only, thing they were willing, the only way they were willing to do it, Dallas would just use a lot of leverage there. So um, also there's always the possibility – that Dallas just—I I think that Dallas is very frustrated with the Knicks. To be honest, I get the sense that they are like really frustrated. I do not think that they liked those guys from the Knicks front office going to that Mavs Jazz playoff game. I think that ticked off a lot of people around the league, and not just people involved. Like I had execs from other teams. I had a lead executive like rant to me about how inappropriate that was. Um, did and did as the Clippers guy at every Raptors game in, 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 in 1819, though? Yeah, I vaguely remember, but I'm sure that pissed off people, too. All, yeah. all I'm saying is <laughs> um, sometimes personal stuff gets in the way, and uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying this will for sure happen, but I, I think the Mavs are pretty annoyed with the Knicks. I think, they, I think that uh, that's just not a factor – to be ignored in this whole thing too, that it doesn't necessarily play out in a video. I mean, Seth, you work for a team, you know, how personal dynamics can get involved, even when something, if you look at it objectively, seems like the right thing to do. Yeah, no, it's a, like there are, I mean, 
managing relationship is part is sort of one of the great sort of unseen things that that you know is is a big part of what makes a a executive uh um you know basically will people take your phone call essentially and if you if you piss people off enough if you lie often if you say crap in the media if you do provocative things then you know your texts don't get returned as your calls maybe are shorter and you don't get the intel isn't shared and all these things that in in you know the 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 flip side is you know i think that a number of instances where you know whatever else you think about tommy shepard's uh, tenure in washington he's been pretty good at at inserting the wizards as sort of a third party in deals to get a little and that's because tommy shepard has good relationships with everybody everyone likes tommy so that's like so that's a you know um that maybe a drawback almost of, of Rose being as sort of shrouded as, as he is, is there isn't that sort of, even though he knows all these people, his time as an agent, but still there's not that, maybe not that, that, that as many like touch points. Um, can we pivot real quick? I know I've only got you for a couple minutes, but I feel like we would be remiss. And I got a question about this on Twitter is, um, the other big thing for the Knicks this offseason is the R.J. Barrett extension talks. Mm-hmm. Um, what, where do you think that is, and what do you think he needs to do to, you know, to be worthy of a of a either a big extension now or you know a, a max or close to max? It, you know. Yes, Seth, you there? Yeah. Yes. Okay, you come out for like one second, yeah. but I got you. Uh, yeah, I wrote about it for yesterday morning. You can go check out that piece on the Athletic. Um, and I spent a lo- I've spent so much time thinking about what is fair for RJ Barrett in an extension. Uh, and I, I pulled a number of people who work up and down NBA front offices about what they think is a is a fair number for him. And it's interesting because RJ is kind of polarizing. I mean, his his conventional counting numbers are really really good. And I think the potential is there, and he was a number three pick. But when you look at kind of how it rounds out, it's like he had a 51% true shooting percentage last year. And there were 22 guys in the league who took as many shots as him. And out of those 22, he was 20th in true shooting. Like he was the, he was the spot behind Russell Westbrook in true shooting, who was kind of the notorious inefficient chucker, right? Uh, directly behind him, by the way, was Julius Randle. So that 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 is that is kind of your biggest thing. That, that's all the other thing the Knicks kind of have to fix. Like they're they're two guys who take the most shots at fifty one percent true shooting percentages. You just aren't going to get out of the bottom ten in offense if that's the case. They need to find ways to make those guys more efficient and be able to get those guys to the spots where they're the most comfortable. Uh, with with RJ, I don't know what's going to happen with the extension because. I, I think RJ and his, his reps are going to approach the situation wanting the max. Uh, you know, the two guys who were drafted ahead of him, Zion Williamson and John Morant, are presumably both getting max extension offers when, when they're eligible on June 30th. Uh, and RJ was the third pick in that draft. Uh, and, and the Knicks have kind of it's, – it's a really interesting juxtaposition. Part of the reason I think it's so interesting is because, like, you don't only get paid for your performance. Like you, you, what you can mean to a particular franchise can be greater than what you mean in a vacuum. 
You know what I mean? And I think RJ, like the Knicks have gone out of their way to brand him as the guy. The Knicks clearly want people to think of him as the franchise guy. Uh, and, you know, he's got this great way about him and he's so well respected throughout the organization because he really does work incredibly hard. He's very humble for, for somebody who kind of came up the way he did as like being the number one recruit in North America at one point, just like being able to identify his own flaws and all that. That's always been impressive to me when someone that young is able to do those sorts of things. But it's hard to ignore the efficiency numbers. It's hard to ignore the fact that he still needs to, if he's going to be, uh, you know, a guy who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot, still needs to improve as a passer. And I think, you know, it's hard to ignore the free throw stuff as well and the jump shot. I think he's completely aware of all of these things. You know, I did that poll. The most common response I got was $25 million a year. And, uh, you know, I got, got compared at one point to kind of the John Collins situation in Atlanta where Collins was a free agent last year. He wanted a max deal. They ended up settling on five years for 125. RJ can't get five in an extension unless he gets the max. But like a lot of people suggested four for 100. I think that feels about right. But if I'm RJ, I don't even know if I accept that, to be honest. Like, I think it's really possible he ends up just going into restricted free agency. And, uh, you know, we and just kind of see what what happens uh you know, what happens from there? Because obviously if he, he comes out and has a tremendous 2022-23 and he improves the jumper, he improves himself around the rim, he becomes a better passer, he continues to evolve defensively, like now all of a sudden, they, they, you know, he, you feel like he's become a max player, you pay him there and you don't risk losing him because he's restricted. But it's, it's, it's a tough situation for the Knicks, I think. Uh, it's a little dicey because you, you always risk when you do that having the DeAndre Ayton thing. That, that's exactly where I was going to go with it. Yeah. It, and I think that gets back to sort of my, or like the same relationship stuff. Like, man, like I think that the, the, it seems from the reporting that's been a failing of the sons to, to manage that relationship uh, with, with Aiden. And it does, it does seem like, you know, again, you can, you know better than me, but it does seem like the next, like whatever happens. All right. We're going to have a good season. We're going to give you the max afterwards. It seems like the Knicks have done a better job building like equity with Barrett that they can, that can like, okay, he, he's not going to love that. Cause of course he'd like to get paid now, but it can be, you know, all right, well, this is business. I'm going to go have a good year and then we'll shake hands at the end of the year and it'll be fine. Um, like, unless, yeah. unless I'm misreading the situation. So that, but I mean, from a strictly, like if you, as long as you know, you can do that, like there's, there's no reason for the Knicks to, offer that now i don't think but yeah for sure i mean look for the most part unless you have a guy like i i um i put this in the story i wrote yesterday that since 2011 12 and the reason i chose that year is because of the first year of a new collective bargaining agreement since 2011 12 26 players have signed rookie scale scale max extensions, which is the extension type the, of extension the fun max as as uh, brian windhorst terms it which i which i like Yes. Fun max, the 25% max. 26 players have, have signed that extension. Uh, 24 of them, at the time of signing the extension, so over their first three years, had some kind of accolade already by that point. Whether that was making All-NBA, becoming an All-Star, winning Most Improved, winning Six Man, winning Rookie of the Year, or just simply enough as making one of the two All-Rookie teams. 
only two of the 26 guys when they signed those maxes hadn't won any accolades yet. It was De'Aaron Fox and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, I don't think anybody looks at either of those deals as, as team-friendly. Uh, the Michael Porter Jr. one, I think, had a little bit of a different context because he was the third guy. They had just made a run to the conference finals. I actually think you can still justify it, but that's because I of the Denver. Strong disagree. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> like, but like at the time, like that, that's justify, more about injuries. Yeah, if you can justify it, it's it's because of Denver specific context, yeah. which is totally untranslatable to anything else. Is kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah, uh, the year and Fox one is not looked at as team friendly at all. And, uh, you know, with, with RJ, I, uh, I just, you know, he would be the third one. He, he has, he's, he's one of those guys who fits in the same category as Fox and, and Porter. So I don't know if his actual resume necessarily demands the max, but you know, when you average 20 points per game as a 21 year old and you're playing for the New York Knicks and you have a fan base that hasn't seen a, a Knicks first round pick signed a long term contract, second contract since Charlie Ward, as every single Knicks fan knows. It's like the most well known bit of niche trivia in sports history amongst the fan base, that one. Like, when you have that, it's like you're going to have people calling for giving him the max. And what you really don't want also is for it to be a thing that you can reach a number. But the other thing you can do too is like RJ's cap hold as of now is supposed to be $27 million next year, which means he'll have like his placeholder salary will will take up $27 million worth of cap room until he either signs with the Knicks or signs with somebody else. Uh, and his max number is projected to be at about 32. So if you're the Knicks and if you plan on maybe doing something in 2023 free agency, you can try to justify it to RJ by saying, look, we, we want to max you out. We would love to max you out, but like we also want to make the team as good as possible next year, and we want to go big fish on it. And we might need that extra $5 million, so can you just hold tight this year, and we'll max you out in the summer. You know, come out, have a great year, we'll max you out in the summer, but we just we can't do it right now. So that, that could always be kind of like a soft landing spot to where it's like, that's like the it's not you, it's me of extension negotiations, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, 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 and that it might not be a lie. Like that might be the total and complete truth. So, uh, you know, I think that's an avenue you can play if you, if you think that you are going to make an offer that he might interpret as low balling. All right. Well, Fred, I've kept you a bit longer than, than I, than, uh, than I thought I would, but uh, getting you out of here by your hard stop time. So thanks for joining. Thanks everyone for listening. I am back tomorrow with, uh, uh, Keandre Ashley, uh, hoops intellect, uh, hoops intellect on, uh, YouTube to do some review of the, of the draft we saw last week and, and who he likes where they landed from a skill development perspective and who maybe has an uphill battle. So, uh, Thank you again for listening and to uh, see you all then. Thanks a lot.